Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hello and welcome to Movies vs. Capitalism, an anti-capitalist movie podcast. I'm Frank Capello. And I'm Rivka Rivera. And um, Frank, it's been a fun week. We got to see each other a few times. We had a few events. We uh, did Hot Labor Summer event with Chris yes, Smalls and Steven Donziger, put on by friend of the pod, Devin Young, and mm-hmm. Little Secret LA. And it was... So fun. It was so amazing. We were promised a party and we got one. Mm-hmm. And there was just such good vibes, um, so much solidarity and uh, excitement for the movement. And they're they're touring. This was the first of the tour. So they are, I don't have in front of me exactly where they're headed, but everyone listening should definitely check it out because they'll be coming to a city near you. I think they're going to be back in L.A. soon. Yeah, I know they're hitting like L.A., Detroit, Atlanta, a couple Colorado? other cities. Denver, yeah. Denver, yep, yep. yeah. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Um, mm-hmm. And we brought a couple of friends who, you know, didn't really know Chris and Steven, didn't really know their story. Uh, and they were just like blown away by not only them speaking, but like like you were saying, the vibe, just like the overall energy of the event. Because it's like it's a very untraditional political event in that it feels like a party. It's not just like boring mm-hmm. ass like people just talking at you. So kudos to Devin and Little Secret LA for like that formula that she figured out. It absolutely nailed it. Yeah. So it was hosted by Matthew Donovan of mm-hmm. Neoliberal Hell podcast. And hopefully we'll have Matthew on the pod on our podcast. It was it was great to meet like there were just so many people there and it was mm-hmm. just really, really great to meet people that you've been learning from and listening to and sharing that night. So we mm-hmm. had a good time. Check it out. Rivka, you did some like field reporting this past week. You joined the picket lines with the uh, with the SAG-AFTRA union, with the actors. Uh, I tell did. Us, I did. Tell us what it, what it was like. It was so great. I didn't, I was going to talk to more people. I ended up just doing a lot of yelling because I love that. The best part is when, you know, the best part was really having like um, truck drivers and people in taxis and people in cars who were passing by and honking their horns and they get it because it really just felt like this is a moment of, you know, people get it. This is a moment for labor. This is a moment for workers. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I think we're going to be out. I think we're out there every day. So uh, it's the beginning. Like (laughs) I mentioned before, vocal technique. (laughs) gotta be sustained so Mm -hmm. we'll see what happens i know you and i were talking about going out and actually like talking to people this was me just getting out there like yeah we're hoping to join the picket lines one day and do and talk to some people and record the interviews and you know maybe put that up as a special uh, episode so you know hopefully we'll get to do that in the next few weeks um Sort of along the same lines of what's going on with the SAG after strike now that they've joined the writers. Um, I wanted to talk to you about this this piece that I read in Entertainment Weekly uh, about uh, SAG after strike waivers for some film productions. So, you know, one of the big things with the actors now joining the strike is that virtually all film and TV productions have been shut down. Um, you know, when the writers went on strike, that pretty much only stopped productions that hadn't yet been completed on the writing side. So anything that still required any sort of rewrites or reshoots, 
Um, but if it was, you know, productions where like the script was done, whatever, those could continue because, you know, technically the writer's job is done at that point. Now that the actors have joined, that means that like you can't you can't shoot things without actors, you know. So it means that pretty much all of the productions have sh- have shut down except for some independent productions. So this is from Entertainment Weekly, quote, 45 truly independent productions have now been granted strike exemptions under the interim agreement, which allows members of the, of the Screen Actors Guild to continue shooting and appear in certain productions without violating the terms of the strike. So this is sanctioned by the Guild. This is not, in their eyes, scabbing. Um, mm. But, but the you know kind of like the big headline here is like yeah they might be independent movies in that in that their producers aren't covered by the AMPTP but these are productions still with huge stars stars like Anne Hathaway Matthew McConaughey Paul Rudd Jenna Ortega Mark Wahlberg Sigourney Weaver um, and many many others so they get to continue working and they get to continue making movies so yeah i have feelings yeah you go first (laughs) i have strong feelings and i will speak strongly in draft because i'm i could fully be wrong uh but my strong feel especially because i've already this is me i've already said a different opinion today and now thinking about it i'm changing my mind because i was talking to my neighbor earlier and i was using this as an example of like why it actually why our demands are not ridiculous like there's there is the argument of like well if a24 can do it disney can do it like come on Mm. but then at the same time like i was just really disturbed by the usage of truly independent films like that is Mm. just that's not what i would call i would not i would not describe a24 as truly independent i guess i'm thinking about like when independent film was independent film again you have these major stars names i think it looks i think it's fucked up for the public to see like these major stars working and shooting i don't think they're gonna understand the difference because frankly like actually what is it a24 is not truly independent like to me i think about truly independent as like yes you can go shoot your short film with your with your very low what they call an ultra low budget i don't think those projects that are the people are working on should be necessarily stopped right now if you've worked really hard and crowdfunded and you have raise the funds to go shoot your ultra low project. If you're A24, like that doesn't feel like solidarity to me. I could be Mm. wrong again, speaking in draft, but like the idea that it's like, but this is an independent project. I'm like with Anne Hathaway, fuck the fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you mean no name? Like, yes, up and coming rising star. (laughs) Who else was just trying to get her foot through the door? Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Like, I saw someone else tweet. They're like, how how about you take all of the money that you're, if you're really going to do it, like, why don't all of you stars, oh, you know, this this no-name Matthew McConaughey, ever heard mm-hmm. of him? Take all of these, like, your profits then and maybe pool them together and put them in a fund for the actors who are on strike. Like, it just, to mm-hmm. me, is like, you're going to be making money. You are going to be making money in this moment in time when all of these working class actors are not go fuck off. Wow, I have very strong feelings. I'm angry now. Again. Yeah, it's it's coming speaking up. Speaking in draft, I could be wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong. We should also just provide a little context about what I guess constitutes an independent movie. I, I'm I'm pretty sure as far as I 
not Matthew uh, McConaughey. I'm pretty sure the the definition is just a movie that is uh, financed outside of the regular studio system. Sure. So like like how you're saying like if A24 itself or it finds some independent financiers that put up the money to produce a movie that's technically an independent movie because it wasn't produced by 20th Century Fox or Paramount or one of the big and ones. And I do think um, that they, not only are they truly independent, I didn't see it in this article, but I did, and I could be wrong, but I think part of it was that they actually agreed to meet the demands. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Which, um, great, cool, but also, like, cool. chill. Wait, hold off. Hold off, bro. My feelings are that, like, obviously having all of the actors not working creates a huge pressure point for the studios, the networks, and the streamers. But not having the work of A-list actors creates the greatest pressure point. So it kind of flies in the face of the concept of solidarity if the people whose labor is, uh, you know quote-unquote, the most valuable. I'm not actually saying that, like, the labor of Anne Hathaway is more valuable than you, Rivka, as an actor. But you in better our... not be. No, I'm not. I, I, would, I would never. But within yes. the way our stupid capitalist studio network system is, you know, A-listers are considered more valuable, quote-unquote, valuable by the producers. So mm-hmm. for them to not withhold their labor kind of Mm-mm. it kind of i i feel like sets the the strike back a little bit i mean obviously this isn't like this is only a handful of a-listers so there are still a lot of a-listers that aren't working like we you know mentioned last episode the cast of oppenheimer walks off of the premiere but That's... it speaks to the issue of class it's mm-hmm. like this issue yes. of class and you're like so we're gonna all you're gonna get a, a photo op saying you support this but then get this like i out to go work no and of course, not everyone working on those films is necessarily going to be. There are obviously other working class actors working and supporting those actors who are going to get to work on those sets. But mm-hmm. a lot of this is we've talked about, like, what is the the role of like the storytelling in a moment like this? The general public does play a big part. And that's like they're not going to understand the, the, the differences in that. It's wishy washy. No. And if this is a loophole that movies can get around. You know, who's to say that, like, uh, some producer isn't going to try to game the system and be like, all right, well, this movie that was supposed to be produced with Paramount, I'm actually going to now take over here to this, quote, independent production Mm. company just to get it done. You know, like, if these loopholes exist, people are going to exploit them to continue these productions. Um, So, yeah, I I, it's it's a bummer, like sucks because i don't want to give that i don't want to give like the a-listers more credit than they're due but like within this economic system the withholding of their labor specifically creates the highest pressure point on the producers so like the longer that they that this is able to drag out and some productions are still able to sneak through the cracks and you know it's not just like every actor is off the table like that would create the most pressure that would that would help resolve this the fastest so Maybe they yeah, will and- if they pool the resources and give them make a statement. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to happen, but maybe they can figure it out. They're so I think they're just so isolated from like, you know, they like to be like, well, we're all actors and like ignore the fact that like they're very isolated from the reality of what's happening for most working actors. And I think that was part of maybe what happened with Fran. Like she 
through this process, like not everyone <laughs> was on the nanny. <laughs> yeah. Really quickly, that some some I guess good news. I didn't realize that that was going to get me so angry, but I wanted to bring this <laughs> this up that I saw the um, heiress Abigail Disney. Speaking of Disney, was uh, arrested for her part in a protest, uh, climate protest, where she chained herself in front of Hamptons Airport to protest billionaires spewing greenhouse gases. You know, using their personal. Um, planes to get to their beach homes personal planes <laughs> <laughs> what is it called I, a private jet i <laughs> i love i think those are called malaprompts your malaprompts <laughs> are some of my favorites uh what's a malaprompt like when you make up the thing yeah, when you like say a th- say the 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 name of a thing or like a, uh, the title of a thing incorrectly, so like yeah, you turn per- you turn private jet into personal uh, planes. <laughs> Especially when I'm tired. I was great. teaching earlier today, and I was trying. I was like, "What is the name of this?" It was a column. I found out later, couldn't name it. So I was like, "The pillar in the room, the the pillar at the center." Um, yes, your personal planes. Well, I just think that's like badass because she is. <laughs> She's, I guess, a good Disney, you know, and she's angry and using speaking of, well, I guess this relates to our our friends. Like she recognizes her position of class and therefore power and is using it to piss off those billionaires to put her body on the line, get arrested because these fucking personal planes, (laughs) (laughs) along with a lot of other amazing, brave protesters who also got arrested. And I just saw some clips from like some of the the people who were on those personal planes, there was like one clip of this guy who goes up to a protester and he's like, he thinks he's going to make this great point. So he's like, you know, there's a battery in your megaphone. Like he's like, you, you too, you too are exactly. And they go, Oh really? Thank you so much. Yeah. That's, that's it. You got me, sir. The equivalent of Mm. your personal plane is that of (laughs) a megaphone Mm. is just, so there's some, they did some good work there, but yes, Great. It's great. I didn't, I didn't I like know about that. this. Yeah, I like that too. We love a class trader. We love when it happens. Yeah, I think she's been an activist for a while, but uh, fuck those people's personal, personal planes. <laughs> All right, well, we should probably get to our conversation for today about RoboCop, but before we do, just want to let you all know that this podcast is produced by the two of us. We perform all of the necessary labor to make this show happen. And as we're trying to practice our anti-capitalist values, we will not be selling ads on this show. We rely completely on community support to keep the show going. So if you're able to support us, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. For just $5 a month, you get access to our entire back catalog of premium episodes, and you'll be directly supporting this show You can also leave us a one-time contribution in our tip jar, and you can find all of those links in the episode description in your podcast player or by going to mvcpod.com. You can also help us out for free by leaving a rating and review for this show on your podcast player. It only takes a few seconds, and it is very helpful in boosting the algorithm and getting this show in front of more people, so we really appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a break, but we'll be right back with our conversation about RoboCop with Mike Benner. All right, we are so excited today to be joined by Mike Benner. Mike is a writer, producer, and podcaster based out of Los Angeles. He's written for TV shows like Bob's Burgers, Squidbillies, Gravity Falls, and more. 
He recently wrapped season one as a showrunner on an upcoming adult animated series, and his horror comedy feature, Destroy All Neighbors, goes into production this summer, starring Alex Winter and Jonah Ray. He's also the co-host and producer of Airbuds, a pretty popular comedy basketball podcast. Uh, beyond all of that, he loves skateboarding, hip-hop music, good food, and talking shit with his friends, who we are. Uh, Mike, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. I told you, you you texted me a little bit ago asking for a bio, and I just was like, I cringed at the thought, and I gave you uh, just the super long bio that like my manager sends out, and I was like, cut something out of this. I don't know what to do. I hate talking about myself. Uh, and then you read the whole thing. No, oh, I I'm, cut, and I I'm cut so, quite a no, bit No, I'm out. so glad you read the whole thing, because, Mike, I did not know that you loved skateboarding. Oh, yeah. I'm uh, So learn new uh, things actually, all the time. That, yeah, being a skateboarder ties directly into my thoughts and feelings about the movie we're talking about today, honestly. It's the uh it's the origin story of my my hatred for police. Oh, that makes sense as like yeah. a as like a a little shithead kid on the tough streets of Philadelphia. This is what I'm assuming. Um <laughs> Mike, before we get into that conversation, you are as we mentioned a writer, a TV and feature writer. You are a member of the Writers Guild of America, which is still on strike, we're recording this uh, late May. Um, so what has your experience with the strike been so far? What are your thoughts on what the, the Guild is asking for? What are your thoughts on the studios and the networks and the streamers? Love the studios, they're great. Um, <laughs> no, uh, honestly, I, I, I feel like um, I'm a bit of a, some people might call me a pessimist. I've considered myself a realist and you can go back to an old episode of Airbuds back from 2019 when the Disney and 20th Century Fox merger went through and that's a podcast about basketball but we talk about a lot of other things and I literally like everything that that is happening now <laughs> at that moment I was like the like the fact that uh the media companies are all kind of like becoming one is bad for for labor up and down the 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 cast list like or the, the credits and so i i can't say i'm surprised that we're here now or that we've been abused uh by the studios us writers um i i i'm confident that uh the writers are winning the pr war right now because it is kind of um we're just asking for like such a fucking small portion of the money they mm -hmm. make in order to pay rent for most mm -hmm. middle class writers and their response is no we want to replace you with chat gpt so like i feel like uh the strike's gonna go on for a while um but i, I think it's ultimately gonna end up in the writer's favor a little bit which is good for uh all the unions all the labor uh that goes into making movies and television absolutely writers are kind of the canary in the coal mine right now so what happens yeah. with with our deal is going to have ramifications with everybody's deals you know, over the weekend, I was uh, meeting up with a friend in the park, and someone there worked for one of the big streamers. I'm not going to say which one, um, but they were kind of pushing the company line. They were saying, you know, if we give the writers what they want, then we're not going to have money for production, so there's going to be less jobs, and Ooh, that's we're so already awkward. not profitable. So, like, so, like, where does this money even come from? Like, they, what they're asking for, we don't have the money to even give them. So, like, we, we can't do anything. And I, my response was, well, it sounds like your business model needs to change. Sounds like if you're not able to pay writers what they've historically been paid, it sounds like you don't have a sustainable business model. And they were like, yeah, I I guess so. It was, it was a little awkward, but... Um, 
yeah, it was it was surprising because I had because the first person that I encountered personally that was like, actually, the writers are asking for too much. How strange. Now, Frank, what does Ted Sarandos eat at a, at a picnic in the park with you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he brought all of his own stuff. It was all it was all from Erwan. He just. <laughs> uh, I think it's really funny. Uh, the streamers and, and the studios. Um, on the one hand, they're on calls with their shareholders uh, bragging about record profits and all the money they're making and why people should invest more and more in them. And then on the other hand, they're going to the writers and saying, we're broke. We can't afford to pay you guys. We're mm-hmm. sorry. Like, you know, uh, which is it? Are you are you doing better than ever or are you uh, broke as hell? I suspect it is the former and not the <laughs> latter. I think the Writers Guild's uh, the demands that they came to the table with add up to about $460 million Uh total and that would just kind of help get writers more equitable residuals and, and um blah 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 you know everything but i i saw a stat that uh it's estimated that the studios uh, in the 18 i guess it's probably about 20 days at this point not to date the podcast uh of mm-hmm. the writer strike they've lost over 550 million dollars so like if they had just agreed to the basic terms that the writers guild mm-hmm. came to the table with day one they would have you know saved themselves more than half a billion dollars so mm-hmm. Uh, it's all about power. Uh, it's all about, you know, if they give us what we're asking for, then they have to admit that they can give everybody what they what they deserve, and uh, they don't want to do that. Exactly like you were saying this. We've said this before. It's not only setting precedent for entertainment unions. It's setting precedent for workers across the country and worldwide, and so it's a really important moment for everyone. And um, you said chat GBT, so I'm going to use that to segue into the film that you chose because uh, we did watch <laughs> the 1987 film RoboCop, and we are going to talk about that today. This film was directed by Paul Verhoeven, written by Edward Neumeyer, Michael Miner, and it stars Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, Ronnie Cox, Kurtwood Smith, and Miguel Ferrar. The budget was $13 million and it grossed $53 million worldwide. This film is set in a dystopic and crime-ridden Detroit, where police officer Alex Murphy, played by Peter Weller, is murdered by a crime syndicate led by the maniacal Clarence Bowdicker, played by Kurtwood Smith. But after his death, his body is claimed by the Omni Consumer Products Corporation, which transforms him into a powerful crime-fighting cyborg called RoboCop. But as Murphy's submerged memories start resurfacing, RoboCop embarks on a mission to find his murderers and the omni-corporate executive who conspired with them. So we've already been talking about it. This is quite relevant. Um, But give us a little bit more historical context, Frank. You got it, Rivka. Uh, So this film was released on July 17th, 1987. So this is the tail end of the Reagan era. Uh, In January, Pennsylvania State Treasurer Bud Dwyer commits suicide by shooting himself during a live press conference. Hell yeah. Um, One of the greatest (laughs) moments in TV history. Wow. (laughs) You, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) It's already off the rails. Uh, In March, Ronald Reagan addresses the American people on the Iran-Contra scandal, acknowledging that his negotiations with Iran had deteriorated into an arms-for-hostages deal. In April, the Fox Network makes its primetime debut. In May, May, U.S. Senator Gary Hart drops out of the running of the 1988 Democratic presidential primary amid allegations of an extramarital affair— And in June, during a visit to Berlin, President Ronald Reagan challenges Soviet General Secretary Mikhail Gorbachev to tear down the Berlin Wall. So that is what is happening when RoboCop is released. 
So, Mike, I know that this is one of your favorite movies, uh, but why did you choose it for us to watch on this podcast? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I'm I'm a bit of what you would call a, a, a police abolitionist. Uh, I don't believe our current system of policing works, and it never really has. Uh, and I think this movie is, at the time especially, like pretty prescient satire of like, where policing was heading uh and i think it's also a very complicated uh movie in terms because it's like it's kind of at once both anti-cop and pro-cop uh it Mm -hmm. is also kind of a pro-labor movie but it's like that's represented by the police union which as we know in real life police unions are anti-labor um (laughs) so it's just it's just like very interesting piece of kind of like schlocky but like brilliant satire of american culture um, Paul Verhoeven is a madman and this is like, his kind of his kind of like vision of what he saw America as. Mm-hmm. Cause he is a Dutch filmmaker. He's not yeah. American. Um, well, this was my first time seeing RoboCop, uh, which, which is surprising. I can't believe I'd gone this long. And, um, yeah, I agree with everything you were saying. I thought it's, it's satire, about the merger of corporate power and state violence was incredibly prescient and spot on. Um, Specifically in how the Omni Consumer Products Corporation has infiltrated almost every sector of this future dystopian. Um, And I also agree with you that it is, it does end up being a little pro-cop or not even a little, it ends up being pro-cop reflected sort of through the main character of Alex Murphy slash RoboCop. But I think in a way... The way that it ends up being pro cop, and maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Like the the Murphy Robocop, his journey is recapturing his humanity that he had before he became a cop. And sure. I think in a way it's like that's telling of what Paul Verhoeven uh thought of police was that like that you trade in your humanity in order to become a cop and like the exchange of authority and a weapon, mm-hmm. uh you give up your kind of what makes you a human. No, I mean just to your point. Mike, and like in some ways that that was really complicated for me as well to be like, is that a pro or anti cop question being put forth? Because that's was how I perceived it. Um, And I don't know, it was definitely anti system in some ways. And then in others, it had this classic like this one person is like the bad apple human at the top of the making all things bad. So it was hard to it, it wasn't really making a statement about this. Although in some ways it was about the system itself being an issue. But I agree with you. What I loved about it was like so clearly about power, even more than like they talk about money. But this was about just straight power. And I think often when we have these conversations about capitalism, it can get confused about you know, not confused, but that the money is the power and the power is the money. And that's one in the same when it comes to oppression. And here it was very much about the power. This was also my first time seeing it. And I was surprised to find that Arnold Schwarzenegger wasn't in this movie. I really thought he would be. I was Do you know so which confused. Schwarzenegger movie you you thought this was? The one where he's a robot. Terminator. Terminator. Terminator, Terminator Two. Terminator Three. I suppose. I suppose one of those, yeah. But I also was like, oh, he also did RoboCop. I think he like like in my head he was like the Rock of like of, of playing robot. robots uh, yeah. in the eighties. Yeah, and I guess yeah. not. I mean, I, I was like, who's this guy? I've never seen this guy before. Um, I, I do think him. there's an element of like the Terminator was like uh, 
like the WWF and then like RoboCop was like the WCW, just kind of like the <laughs> off-brand version of like Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think Terminator was like the kind of the uh the elite robot movie and then RoboCop was kind of the, you know, the rough around the edges kind of schlocky one. Yeah, I liked the schlockiness of it. I think that was what I was because I was expecting, I guess, Terminator. And I was expecting something a little more Hollywood and polished. I really appreciated like it was just so grotesque and vulgar and um, so much so much more satire than I expected. I loved the the cinematography and the point of view and that like for so much of the film, we are engaging with it from the point of view of like surveillance. So like I just felt so paranoid the whole time because so much of the shots were from either the pov of robocop or like inside machinery um there was like the always the joy of these films of seeing like what we think technology is going to be and like how it always becomes more slick but the same concept is there so i was enjoying a lot of that and then i think just mostly i was watching this through the eyes of like a new yorker who you know (laughs) mayor adams just uh released the digidog robot in fact he actually made the announcement um this was on april 11th he said digidog is out of the pound so uh that's a (laughs) that's a mayor adams quote so this is and we'll get more into the details of it but i was just like well this is exactly the technology coming to a street near you wait is digidog now on the street like is he on like is he on the beat right now or i don't i mean i wouldn't be surprised um but like it was digidog was i the reference to being out of the pound was like i think digidog and they were wanting to do this and there was like in 2021 they wanted to do it and there was a lot of protests and so now he's back he's out of the pound this is how little they think about like what they say like so isn't the pound kind of like the jail for dogs? Like, why yeah, Why was Digidog yeah. in the pound? What did Digidog do wrong, Eric Adams? Yeah, really poor metaphor, Eric Adams. Yeah. And is... it's really, I mean, just watching this, the whole, like, the just the lines that they say from, like, in this film when they're referencing the reason for the robots and, like, the Dick Jones talking about the Ed 209 and, like, they had a line where they're like, this is the end of crime and old Detroit is going to be happening in 30 days. And, like, it's just... You could take Mayor Adams' lines and line them up with this script, and they're almost, I mean, it's hard when you're living in the satire to be like, how do you satire satire anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Unlike, like, Terminator, I like, which I do think has a lot of things to say about, you know, corporate power over the tech sector and AI and all of that, I do feel like the satire in this is way, way more, um, like, just from the top, like, the first moment you meet... Uh, the Omni Consumer Products Corporation in the boardroom, the like the old the old man, the 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 CEO is like, it's never been a better time for corporate growth in the country, although we are plagued with crime. You see that parallel today where it's just like corporate power and wealth has become so concentrated and the disinvestment from communities and from social services has just left us in this has left us in this world where it's like People at the top making more and more money, getting more and more nice things, but everyone else fucking having to live in poverty or, you know, turn to a life of crime. Um, I want to play one real quick clip from that board meeting where they kind (laughs) of lay out how they are privatizing everything, that this is like really also a story about uh, privatization. Take a close look at the track record of this company. And you'll see that we have gambled in markets traditionally regarded as non-profit. Hospitals, prisons, 
space exploration. I say good business is where you find it. As you know, we've entered into a contract with the city to run local law enforcement. But at Security Concepts, we believe an efficient police force is only part of the solution. No, we need something more. We need a 24-hour-a-day police officer, a cop who doesn't need to eat or sleep, a cop with superior firepower and the reflexes to use it. Yeah, I mean, that's what we have today. I mean, that's just Elon Musk talking right there, right? Sure. Like, just in case people are have not watched the movie and are like don't believe us just how sharp and to the point the satire is i want to take it even one step further frank the very first shot of the movie is a fake newsreel oh yeah uh of just like these newscasters cheerily delivering the bleakest possible fucking news and like the star wars defense lasers accidentally destroying santa barbara mm-hmm. <laughs> and and like a president vomiting on a spaceship because he like like it's just it's it's this movie really is kind of so on the nose with it hearing that clip i'm just like yeah it's this movie's the most on the nose thing ever and i think it's kind of awesome because of that to speak to that news clip i was i'm blown away that i was like this is the first thing you're seeing the anchors say you give us three minutes we'll give you the world and then they well you said give this like cheery delivery of this bleak news they squeeze in an ad for a new robotic heart and then they deliver more news and then they wrap and I paused it, and it was three <laughs> minutes exactly into the film. Wow. I was like, that's amazing. Similarly, I just, I love that throughout it has the fake commercials as well. And there's a family that's playing sort of like a battleship, but it's called Nukem. And it's just, <laughs> get them before they get you. Like, and I just remember as a kid, maybe it was, maybe this was subconsciously just growing. I loved fake. I thought fake commercials were the funniest thing. I did a play, like, I remember my middle school play. I didn't get the lead. I was so bummed, but it was also because the person who got the lead, her family gave a lot of money to the school. But whatever. I'm not bitter about it. Um, <laughs> and what's your because... Instagram handle that we can go <laughs> comment on? Well, she's, uh, yeah, she's not in the biz anymore, so. <laughs> should have worked I... harder. Well, you should have worked harder. What I was very excited about was that I got cast in a in like a fake jazzercise commercial and i just thought that was the funnest thing so these commercials fake commercials are always just the highest art form to me so this movie had me at the fake commercials yeah fake advertisements fake uh sitcoms there's like a running gag that like the people in this world are watching sitcoms that are just like the dumbest bassist i would call it like distraction comedy it's like all just like this little this little bald guy like sticking his face into women's chests and then like throwing pies <laughs> at one another. It's just like, this is what the dumbest possible version of TV could be. It is like literally idiocracy, like stole that this bit with the like, mm. Ow my nuts show that everybody's obsessed <laughs> with. Like <laughs> that's right. It's cause it, yeah, the, the sitcom throughout the movie, probably like four or five times. We just, everybody in the show is in the movie is watching this show. Yeah. Where it's, it's a, it's a little bald man smashing cakes into women's breasts and then saying, I'd buy that for a dollar. Yes. And I think what's so brilliant about it is that it, it's really making a statement about the, the connection between media, the surveillance state, and policing. And it's not like this is just something that's like they're externally, like it's telling us how to watch this world. And then we see 
so much of like the ads and the mentality of that of the ads and the sexism in the ads and all of that being mirrored in the world that RoboCop is policing and being mirrored in the world like the way that people are like no one's quite a real like you you know what I mean you're never really quite led into anyone's like real quote unquote life everything is pretty much seen through like work environment through like through this lens but like when you it's just amazing how you see that mirrored and how you get this feeling that like there is not much private space left in this world at all. Like, so I think it's intentional that we don't see much private space. It's all, everything has been become part of work and this, everything is being viewed. Like even when he go, the robot goes back to see his old home. And I loved this little touch. There was like, there was a robot real estate agent who was, yeah, everything's just being viewed, um, which is terrifying about, these digit I mean on top of a lot of things that are terrifying about having police robots in New York but like they're not gonna st- we're not starting at the place of like they're gonna just be blasting off although I'm sure that's coming soon um the fact is they're just gonna be surveilling 24 7 and you know I think mm. in one of the articles I read Adams was like yeah no we're we're not yet gonna use like um face recognition but like yeah you are yeah like but they're like but we shall be but we shall but just not like today maybe tomorrow but like we're all going to be understood you know so I thought this film got that so right and I had anxiety watching it just because it was it was really good filmmaking that it was subtle but it was constantly there I like that Eric Adams thinks like that's so like like we're not going to do it we are going to but we're not doing it yet like that's like me being like Frank I'm not going to punch you in the face I'm going to do it on Wednesday (laughs) But like, like, how is that any better? Telling like telling us that they're going to do it. Just do it. You're already doing it. Did your dog is out of the pound? His hypocrisy really gets to me. I think it was like National Teachers Day a couple of weeks ago, and he did a big tweet thread that are just like a shout out to all the teachers, some of the most important public servants that we have. Like everyone loves their teachers. Teachers are the lifeblood. Teaching, you know, New York's children. It's like motherfucker, you cut the public education budget. Like, how dare you? How dare you? Yeah, you love teachers so much. Name five teachers, Eric Adams. <laughs> um, one thing I really appreciated about this movie was the violence. Yes. Um, it is incredibly violent. It is incredibly graphic. And unlike some action movies that you know have just like graphic uh, over the top violence this felt intentional this felt like verhoven saying to the audience like this is this is what happens when you know a police officer just like absolutely unloads an entire clip into your body this is what happens when you know the robot that's supposed to protect you malfunctions and and chooses to just absolutely light you up in the middle of a board meeting and i mean like the murder of Alex Murphy is incredibly violent. Like it, it, it feels like it's really putting the violence front and center, saying like, "This is what happens. This is what happens within the policing system in this country." Um, so yeah, that was just something that jumped out to me. It's also presented like I, I like what you said. Like Verhoeven is almost challenging the audience to be like, "This is what you want. Like this is what you like. Mm-hmm. Like okay, I'm gonna give it to you," and then mm-hmm. presents it with like a wink, almost like when when Alex Murphy, uh, Kurtwood Smith shoots his hand off he shoots his hand and the hand explodes into like a mm. gooey bloody mess and then kirkwood smith he might as well have like turned to the camera and winked and said give him a hand <laughs> like there's just like <laughs> it's just so it's so campy in a way mm. that i that i like as well 
Yeah, because it makes it. I think it makes some of the like the harder edges of the satire a little bit more like palatable by keeping it keeping it more until in that like schlocky vein that we're talking about. It was just straight gory, and like it was also to your point, Frank. Just like this is what gun. You know, when you see something shot and it's just a clean. You, I think you so often see it. And it's just like a clean shot through, and you're like, well, that wasn't so bad. Like this was not a second of this wasn't like was it not so bad? It was all so painful and um, played very realistically and still over the top, which is a a very cool note Mm -hmm. to hit. Yeah, especially when it comes from the cops, because, you know, in our in our real world, when you hear that, you know, an unarmed person was shot, you know, 20 plus times by the police, you don't really have a I mean, I personally, I don't have like a conception of what that looks or feels like in my head. It's just sort of like, you know, it's it's hard to imagine. And this movie is really like, well, no, this is what it looks like when a cop shoots you 20 times. This is what it does to your body, which it's it was very, yeah, very jarring. Would it help you understand it more if we called the shooting uh, an officer involved shooting rather than the cop shot them? That would help. That would make me feel a lot better about it. Uh, and actually... It's almost like the cop didn't even do anything. Exactly. I wanted to go to the conversation about Murphy and about Murphy's arc because I know we started sort of talking about it and that's where I was the most, yeah, I didn't know where it was really interesting. I didn't know where I landed. The message that I got was about the dehumanization of being a police officer, of being becoming a, a robot and having to, what are the effects of remembering who you are or who you were when you're sort of caught in this, um, the mechanisms in the claws of power and you are just a robot for a robot in this world taking, taking orders. I think it would have had a very different journey and effect if like at the end upon remembering RoboCop is like quits, (laughs) you know, it's like, fuck this. That was not what happened. (laughs) Like that would be my, my choice as a director and producer if I'm like, this is the message. But um, yeah, I'm curious because I know you started talking about that, Mike, your thoughts on that. I think Murphy as a character is a bit of a cipher, and I think intentionally so. We don't really know much about him. We know he loves his wife and kid, which makes it weird how he and Nancy <laughs> Allen are kind of flirting when they first become partners. It's like, <laughs> like you're talking about how much you love your wife and kid, but also like you clearly want to fuck Nancy Allen. Like, what's <laughs> going on here? But his like one personality trait that we get to really see and his reason for wanting to be a cop, really, before he becomes RoboCop, uh, is that his kid thinks it's cool when he twirls his gun around and shoots it. Um, and so you get this idea that, like, this guy is not uh, necessarily he, – he's not in it because he wants to serve his community. He's in it because he wants to play cowboy. And then he gets, obviously, murdered to death um, by Kurtwood Smith and gang. Uh, and becomes RoboCop, and he kind of loses all kind of sense of, of, of humanity and, and his memories and everything. But the one thing he retains at the end when he you know kills the CEO of Omni, uh, he twirls the gun again and puts it in his holster, and he calls himself Murphy. And you, just, you get the sense that, like, oh, like we were hoping he was going to recapture his humanity, but the part of the humanity he captured was the cowboy thing. So it's like mm. policing will, no matter what a cop is put through, like, that authority and that and the the fact that you have a gun and you have the power to, you know, basically ruin anyone's life that you want to, you're just playing cowboy. Like, like mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. So I think in that sense, it, it's 
I can interpret it as like it's not like like a win for RoboCop. It's like a it's like an indictment on police that like no matter even if we design the perfect fucking robot to go out there and and patrol the streets, uh, which by the way we can get into what how RoboCop polices, which is like a tr- straight up atrocity what he does. Um, but like no matter if we design the perfect perfect robot, like it's the police system is still flawed. It's always going to be little boys playing cowboy and wanting mm. to exert power over people that are powerless. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I Murphy read to me like the like the film was saying that Murphy is the one good cop, the the quote unquote good cop. Mm. As our lead character, you're you're led to believe that he has like this integrity. Um, when him and Nancy Allen, you know, show up at the stash house, he's like ready to go in and risk his life to get the bad guys. So you 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 get the sense that he is he is dedicated to law enforcement. He's dedicated to uh yeah, I guess being as good of a cop as possible. Mm-hmm. Um so that that's kind of where it felt like even even after he becomes RoboCop and then he, you know, reclaims the sense of who he is, it it did kind of feel like the movie was saying, you know, uh there are good cops and you know we need we need more Alex Murphys like if we had an Alex Murphy that became a RoboCop then we would be in a good position although i do i, I do think the sharpest critique is the idea of like police militarization and the way that uh like again the corporate merger of state violence and the way that uh the answer to most of these questions is to just up the weaponry to go even higher more advanced weaponry to Rain in crime. That that felt like where the critique landed, but I felt like with Murphy specifically, they were like, well, he, at least he was the good cop, you know? Well, it's interesting because producers were worried um, about how police would take Murphy. They thought it would be offensive. And the opposite happened, that it kind of became this, like, heroic figure. There was a lot of... Um, yeah, there was a lot of joy. Joy is not the word I was looking for, but that's the word that's going to mind. Like, pride. Pride is the word a lot of cops in the 80s being like i feel seen um <laughs> that is this is also uh, this is up there with um like the punisher in terms of like pieces of pop culture that have been so widely misinterpreted and yep. and 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 embraced by the people which it is critiquing mm-hmm. um like mm-hmm. robocop is yeah matrix as well yeah like it's just this is like an all-timer in terms of like people missing the point and Mike, also, what you mentioned at the beginning about this is that the movie also touches on the labor aspect, because like when we arrive in Detroit, we we arrive at the precinct, we get the sense that, you know, the city is obviously overridden with violent crime. Cops are being killed every single day. And the movie portrays them as trying their best within a very, very violent and broken system. And it, I think shows like sympathy for those police officers in that situation and it sort of paints omni the corporation omni is now also like running the precinct it paints them as the bad guys so it almost kind of it felt to me like the movie was saying like oh no the police are trying to be you know decent civil servants in a in an impossible situation and it's really just the the corporate overlords who are the ones that are making one, the crime bad, and two, their jobs more difficult. And then there is that moment where they're like going to go on strike, which is interesting because I don't think they can't strike. Right? Is my understanding? They do go on strike in the movie. Um, they do, yeah. But I mean, in uh, in like now, end, we don't really see. Oh. No, po- police are legally not allowed to go on strike. I do have a very undercooked take as it relates to the WGA strike, and it Let's pains me it. to say this, but I think 
the police union and RoboCop are the WGA. Omni is the AMPTP, and RoboCop is is ChatGPT. <laughs> and the oh, Omni yeah. yep, wants absolutely. to replace the police officers with this this AI uh, robots. And the police officers, uh, they just don't want to get shot to death. <laughs> just like us writers, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think like the labor aspect, it's definitely like a pro-labor movie. The, the, the whole police union striking thing is a little undercooked in the movie. Like We don't even really know what they're striking for other than... Not getting murdered. And I'm just like, well, what? Like that, that doesn't seem like a reason to strike. I think you're onto something. It's hinted at because there was that scene where RoboCop comes in and, and is like, Look at my my gun knowledge shot practice. <laughs> what is it called? Yeah, at shot practice. <laughs> shot practice. Yeah, at the, okay. fi- at the the firing range. Yeah, firing range. Shot practice. So Ro- RoboCop is at shot practice. Is that RoboCop shot practice? is at shot practice with all the other cops who are at shot practice. And they're all like, whoa. because He's Robocop- at rehearsal. He's at rehearsal. <laughs> He's... <laughs> And he like again, he like just destroys the thing. Is just like teared down at the end of his shot practice. And one of the cops, he's like, "This guy is really good." He's like, "He's not a guy. He's a machine." They're like, "What are they gonna do? Replace us?" So I think you're correct. They're like, "That's that to me was okay." So they're hinting at like I, the strike is about is literally fear of ChatGPT. Like these guys are gonna come in and take all our jobs, but then it gets a little lost. It's definitely, I wonder if there is a version of the script where they talk more about the union. It does feel like a big thing. We're introduced to it pretty early on in the movie. It gets a lot of play mm-hmm. early on. And then you kind of forget about it until the end when Nancy Allen is like, nobody showed up for work today. I guess the strike is on. And you're just like, oh, okay, I guess I forgot about the strike. But yeah. It's also, I don't know really when police unions became sort of like the force in municipal politics that they have become but i mean this movie really misses the mark in terms of like what police unions actually are which are basically like i don't know like little mafias crime syndicates yeah yeah the casting was interesting to me because the bad guys could have equally like been like i love i kind of love that like you they all kind of looked had like a same look and vibe and like bodiger could have been um and he well I guess he was like he was working with Omni OCP people but like they all could have they all kind of looked like they could have walked out of the same room you know like the same corporate boardroom and like I think that was probably intentional as well Verhoeven's really great at casting like very interesting looking actors uh Kurtwood Smith being one of them um, and he's fucking Peter brilliant Weller as well he's so good in it He's so good. I had never look. I I'm a big that '70s show fan. I did not know that Kurtwood Smith was the bad guy in RoboCop. I would have seen it way sooner. And he's completely unlike his character in that '70s show. He's like he's so he's like a unhinged live in this wire. movie. Yeah. yeah, it's great. He's the incredible choices. In it. He's having so much fun. Yeah, he puts his finger. For people who are going to watch this, get just look out for this moment. He makes a choice to put his fingers in this man's wine glass and then pulls it out and smells it. I said, give this man an Academy Award. We'll probably give him an award later. But I just thought that choice was fucking brilliant. I was like, I want to be on set with this man. As he like, it, it was just like acting wise. You're like, these are such great choices. It gave me a lot of like Doctor Strange love vibes. Like there was just... It was beautiful. 
I rewatched the movie for the first time in a long time uh, a couple weeks ago when you guys first booked me, and I forgot about that moment. And when I saw it, I didn't know like whether to be like horrified or like I was horny. Like I had like so like I just was like, what the fuck did he just, he just put his fingers inside this man's wine and then like licked it? And then the moment when he takes the pin out uh, of the grenade by using his tongue, it's oh, just like so this guy good. is insane. And I'll tell I you love what, him. Mike. Watch out yeah. next time I see you for drinks. <laughs> Cover your glasses. Yeah. Put a coaster on top of my cup. <laughs> I actually did make a note about like Verhoeven's homoeroticism, which is a thing that runs through some of his movies. I know there's like Starship Troopers has some of that similar, like just a bunch of like aggro dudes shirtless being really physical with one another, especially in this movie, in the the bathroom scene with Dick Jones and Bob Morton. Oh yeah, I love that scene too. It's so horny. It's like mm-hmm. these two dudes threatening each other's livelihoods, but they're like about to kiss. It's and so horny. And he really, he really captures sort of like, I don't know, it kind of feels like he's boiling everything down to just like this male uh, like aggression, this like male mm-hmm. sexual aggression that men have with one another. And like you could sort of read that as like, yeah, that's why we have all of the problems in the world because there's mm-hmm. like a couple of powerful men who are all just like trying to out, you know, dick each other and like be the horniest, angriest guy. I think that's definitely like um, the horny tone is intentional. And there's also like a subtle thing. Whenever RoboCop is like out fighting crime in an exterior city set, uh, there's always a strip club present yeah. in, in, yeah. in like every like shot oh, where a crime is happening mm-hmm. and there's just like kind of like every every time a crime is happening there's like sex nearby and i think that's like for hoven definitely like commenting on like you know the male power dynamics like the is yeah. definitely fueled uh, in part by sex and i thought he did a great job in this with because sometimes we've watched so many films where you're like i think the filmmaker thinks they're making like satire about sexism but they're just being super fucking sexist and gross and this to me hit the tone really well and i think because it was weaved throughout like you said it closes with him like cowboy style grabbing his gun and yeah it all hit right for me and there was a moment there's the moment right before what's his name Uh, he's the he's not dick jones he's the other guy that dick jones is miguel farrar uh what's uh, bob morton bob yeah Bob, Bob Morton. Bob Morton's like, you know, RoboCop's out on the scene doing great. Bob Morton's just got this promotion and he's doing coke with these two women. And the women are like, we love your new title. Like, uh, you're whatever his, uh, I was going to say. Vice president. Vice president. There's something about it. Yes. And they're like, God, you girls are great. I just, I'd love to be with intelligent women. And they're just doing like, she's like putting the coke on her tits. And like, it's all just like this power stuff. But there's something about it that just feels like, Maybe it's the surveillance stuff or something. It never feels gross. It feels like great satire. And then Bodicker comes in and he's like, get out, bitches. Like, you know, <laughs> bye, bitches, get out. And then there was another moment, too, where it was like um, about women being referred to as like these bitches. And like it was just like all of it tied in. But but as you were saying your point, Mike, about the the sling and gunshot at the end, like that, I'm kind of like, oh, I see it. I see what's in this film, the potential for it. And it's very smart. I also haven't seen the RoboCop remake that I think was like 2014. Mike, have you seen that one? Is that one any good? It is garbage. It is. Oh. Uh, 
<laughs> made by people who clearly didn't understand the original. Mm. And uh, the lead actor, whose name escapes me, gives a performance that is like just so like even for RoboCop, like one note and boring. <laughs> who was it? Was that Carl Urban? No. Oh no, Carl Joel. Urban. Ki- oh, oh, it was Joel Kinnaman. That's right, I the don't dude know from that The Killing. Person. But yeah, uh, if you worked on the movie or made it, hey, good work, you know? Did you two have anything else you wanted to hit before we go to the awards? I want to highlight the the club scene. There's a moment where RoboCop, he's starting to kind of, I feel like we barely scratched the plot, uh, but there's just so much happening in it. Uh, but there's a moment where he kind of starts to remember dreams and, and things from his past, his past life as Murphy. Mm-hmm. And he starts to kind of figure out uh, who killed him. And he, so he figures out that Boddicker is the one that killed him. And he tracks down one of his accomplices at at a nightclub. And uh, this is the most 1980s fucking nightclub I've ever seen in the most delightful way. It's worth watching just that scene over and over again and kind of like pointing out all the things that are happening in the background. Uh, there's a kind of, I think, what be, seems to be a Verhoeven trademark. You can see continued on in, in movies like Total Recall where uh, there's a POV shot and just... Uh, naked women with their breasts out just kind of like playing to the camera like for you're like why is this woman naked inside of a nightclub everyone else is clothed and then the moment where he finally finds uh Boddicker's accomplice and uh the, the accomplice pulls a gun and robocop smacks it out of his hand and we fu- and the gun flies out of the scene cut to some like like 80s surfer socal guy like catches the gun midair and is like all right it's just like, so fucking silly i love it so much but it's, I, I think it also like it just kind of goes uh and, and i'll bring it back to the something uh of of value uh that is kind of emblematic of robocop's version of policing he shows up he causes chaos and violence and then he leaves uh mm-hmm, you know yeah. the very first crime you see him go on is a someone is holding up a a convenience store robocop shows up uh, causes innumerable damages to the actual property, shoots the man to death. He flies into a soda refrig- refrigerator, and then RoboCop just says like "Have a good night" and turns around and leaves. He doesn't even like do anything with the body. When he when he stops these two guys from raping a woman, uh, <laughs> he he shoots a guy's dick off. The other guy's just <laughs> standing right. there, and then uh, the woman is like clearly traumatized, freaking out. She runs over to RoboCop and hugs him, like basically being like, thank you. Can you take me somewhere safe? And RoboCop just says, I'll call a rape crisis hotline and walks away, <laughs> leaving the woman there with one of the guys who is still not injured yeah. at all. He's like, yeah. he's fully capable yeah. of harming her. Like he's just, he like, but like, that's like the corporation's dream of policing is just put a deadly weapon out there cause violence and chaos and then leave and then collect the profits right and as we know mm-hmm. police don't stop crimes they're just there when they happen <laughs> like there's no prevention there yep. and and make things worse and make the problem worse and we see a lot of videos of you know constantly of that happening in new york where they just show up and make things worse and increase violence on the scene rather than do any de-escalation um it does i'm glad you brought it back there because i just I want to make sure we hit the, just really hit the AI of it all. And just like, we talked about the robots and you, but like, it's just really wild to be like, this is not a, this is not sci-fi. This is legitimately, we will have these machines on the street that will be armed 
eventually like and they are and it's really terrifying um i know that there's mo- there's movements and there's a lot of grass work organizing and protest work which which worked which clearly worked to keep the dogs put the dogs in the pound the first time but they're back out and i don't know if i have a point about that but just other other than to say like it's um terrifying and very real do you think if they put like little floppy like dog ears onto the digit dog it would be like more palatable to you i i it, fool me once if, fool if me put, once if they put floppy I, it might ears get me and once. googly eyes on digit dog <laughs> my initial response was oh have you mentioned that cops uh uh don't stop crime i also want to add they also don't solve crime cops uh right. solve less than one percent of crime nationally right. uh they also steal money through asset forfeiture they are a criminal organization across the country uh, with syndicates in each major city. They are literally descendants of the Ku Klux Klan's, the police. Uh, I just wanted to get all that in because I hate the cops. That is, in, I think, important for people to keep in mind that cops actually don't uh, solve anything, they don't make anything better. They only uh, exacerbate already dangerous situations. Um, and I think this is incredibly uh, important right now because, you know, we came out of 2020 with a real sense that there might be some sort of like legitimate police reform or, you know, the, the start taking the steps to some sort of abolition. And now it's three years out and we're seeing that, oh, no, everyone's answer is actually more cops is robot cops mm. is building a cop city in Atlanta. It's uh, it's the answer to all of our problems. And that's something they hit in the beginning at the first board meeting when they say, you know, uh, all public services have been cut except for the police. It's like, well, that's not a public service. That is that's enforcement. That is state violence. Yeah. No, I and I was going to say, I mean, I I still do feel I have where I do have the complicated feelings where I think this film hits on a little bit is that feeling of like the human beings who become the officers who are in this system and um are you know, can't there? There's no going on strike for my me personally. Like part of my abolition is that I think officers will have to leave the force or have to have some sort of awakening where they also leave. I know a lot of officers. Like I don't necessarily think that there's not a complexity in that human experience. Um, and I think part of bringing in robots in this part is to just like diminish that even to really just like get rid of that even like human mm. possibility you know it's it's even scary it's just like let's get rid of the, even the the remote human possibility because that's even fucking it's bad now but like with robots in place it's going to be fucking horrific all right well i think it's time for us to get to the awards for this movie um mike the first award we hand out is uh, a point with a view this goes to the character with the best politics in the movie not a lot to choose from, but <laughs> not a lot to choose from at all. Um, and I think pretty much everyone in this movie is corrupt or uh, an unwitting accomplice to the system, uh, except for the gas station attendant who doesn't say a single word. Uh, and he's just studying plane geometry in his little booth. Oh, yeah. Um, so why not that guy? <laughs> I think that's good. So our next award is this one. This one also will be hard because there's so many. Despicable You. It goes to the character with the worst politics in the movie. Um, this probably has to be Dick Jones, the CEO at Omnicore, um, just because he's he's collaborating with Boddicker. So he's like 
collaborating with this crime syndicate. He's mm-hmm. trying to push the privatization of cops onto Detroit. Um, he's a murderer. He's a liar. Uh, he's a uh, corporate CEO. I mean, uh, I don't think it gets worse than him in this movie. Yeah, it's got to be Dick. I think um, he's like very successfully until the very end of the movie like running a like top down like vertically integrated like every kind of evil you can do as a corporation like he's uh you know privatizing public services uh he's causing crime in order to put his robots on the street to to stop the crime mm-hmm. he is literally about like you know another looming threat throughout the entire movie is the building of uh, delta city which is like this kind of gentrification effort uh where they're going to turn detroit into a like privately corporate owned like city um Mm -hmm. and like so like he's basically just doing everything an evil corporation can special mention to bob morton because he tried real hard to take dick out he didn't quite yeah bob morton also a, a pretty gross dude and then our final award is a star is scorned this goes to the supporting character that this movie should actually be about does uh, Boddicker count? I mean, I guess he's kind of the mm-hmm. villain, but I would love yeah. to just see more about him. Oh, yeah. To see all the funnies him and his crew are having on the road. Yeah. Just There's... a road trip buddy comedy. Let's do Magic Mike XXL, but with Boddicker oh, in the game. Oh, I'm here for it. Yeah, absolutely. And with all those, give us more of those. Um, I don't know. There's a part of me that's like, I, I definitely it could go to both the woman with her tits out or um, the... <laughs> the the nerdy college student but i also think it could either be the two women in that scene with bob morton because i thought they were just brilliant or there's <laughs> something about like his little shitty little son in front of the tv i want to know what that little shit's up to he did seem like a shitty little son i'm interested i would i would want to see the story of the the uh omni executive who gets wasted by ed 209 in the first boardroom meeting <laughs> Just like a short film about him being like, today's going to be the day I ask for my big promotion. Um, (laughs) And just follow it. (laughs) Goodbye, dear. I love you. I love you too, honey. I think this will be the day that you get that big promotion. Thanks, sweetheart. Um, And then just gets absolutely annihilated by Ed 209 in the boardroom. I don't know if this was a joke or not, or meant to be like a laugh line, but uh, this rewatch around, uh, I, I like guffawed. At that, at the end of that scene, when yeah, the the guy gets just destroyed by Ed two hundred nine, and he's lying, he's riddled with bullet holes, bleeding all over the model of Delta City, clearly <laughs> dead, and, and there's like a beat of silence, and then somebody's like, "Somebody call a paramedic!" Yeah, <laughs> like I don't, I don't know if we're in any rush. <laughs> the guy's dead. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for the awards. For our listeners, if you have any ideas for new awards, you can email us at moviesvscapitalism at gmail.com. So before we wrap this up and could keep could really this was such a gift that keeps on giving this film. So thank you for this. We like to discuss with our guests, as you know, how you strive in your personal life to practice your values as an anti-capitalist in whatever way that looks like for you. You know, I thought about this a lot, uh, knowing this was coming, and I don't think I really had a good answer. Um, but I think, I think like socialism in America um, is is far off and unlikely as much as we want it. Um, and so I I really believe that you kind of have to create your little 
socialism like within your own life and your own circles so i kind of just try to make choices uh that i really like like i don't buy anything from amazon i haven't bought anything from amazon in years because i you know not that i think i'm personally taking money out of jet bezos's wallet but i just don't want that i don't eat uh, i limit my intake of meat uh i love meat but like i believe that like factory farming is both a capitalist crime and a environmental crime so i try not to eat a lot of meat um I don't use self-checkouts because I believe that self-checkouts are like, you know, replacing uh, human labor in a way that is unhealthy and bad. Like I, there's just like a lot of, um, I, I don't have a car. I committed like a few years ago, like I was just, you know, aided by the pandemic. And I just was like, I don't like driving. I hate cars. I pref mm -hmm. like, I think public transportation should be used more. And so like, I just kind of like make a lot of little choices like that. And then beyond that, as people in the entertainment industry uh, that, you know, money is few and far between. So when I have money, uh, I try to financially support uh, not only like people in my life, but also like organizations, uh, mutual aid organizations, uh, Solidarity and Snacks is one that I think you guys are have heard of that I really love mm -hmm. uh, to no donate to. And then if you're, you know, hearing this and you're interested in, in supporting people during the WGA strike, uh, the Entertainment Community Fund is a place you can go to donate some money it's not it doesn't go to the writers it goes to other people like people that work in production actors people that uh that that are also struggling because of work stoppages right now uh and they offer like emergency financial aid and and other uh services to people uh that work in the entertainment industry that are also uh affected by the strike so that's uh there's that yeah i don't know is that a good answer those were all great answers that was no that was that was lovely thank you for sharing all that with us it's you know a lot of it is just a lot of little choices that we're making in our own individual lives so and yeah. also talk about it tell people like don't mm -hmm. don't be a like a preachy little dick about it but like just talk about it tell people why <laughs> you you do the things you do you know don't be annoying never be annoying but yeah mike where can our audience find you if they would like to you can find me uh go to airbuds pod on uh twitter and on instagram that's my uh that's my basketball podcast with uh comedians peter moses and jamel johnson two very funny people funnier than me uh and we've been called the uh the democratic socialist basketball podcast so if you <laughs> if you like uh the values on this podcast you might like what we talk about there um but yeah uh and other than that i don't know yeah don't find me anywhere Wow, great. Ever ever the great self-promoter. Um, <laughs> Mike, it was so good to see find you. Me, find me coming back on this podcast uh, eventually to do Gremlins 2 for real. Yes. Yeah. What listeners don't know is back in the day uh, when when this was just a, a little glimmer in Frank and Rose's eye, this podcast, I was one of the test episodes you did, and I <laughs> made you guys watch Gremlins 2, the new batch. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just I just want to make Frank watch it again. <laughs> so I loved it. I, I'm, I'm down. I wasn't yeah. in the right headspace for our first watch. I am excited to do it at some point, and we will have you back. Mike, thank you so much for being here. We love you. We miss you. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Love you guys, too. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you've been enjoying the show, please consider becoming a supporter. Again, you can find all of that info at mvcpod.com. For next week's movie, we'll be watching Greta Gerwig's adaptation of the Mattel Toy Company product, Barbie. So get out there and get a ticket. They probably won't let you in without one. Uh, <laughs> thank you all so much. We'll see you later. Bye. We're sneaking, I guess.